It's because our names are part of us. They're essential to our identity. Have you ever noticed that you actually like to hear your name spoken? Some people like it more than others, probably. You like people to say your name. It makes you feel important. This is because our names connect us to one another. It's how we are identified. In our text today, the greatest name of all is going to be revealed. The name of God. He's going to further connect himself to his people. What started next, or last week will continue this week. God is going to identify himself to Moses and to us. So, let's listen. Let's listen in. Exodus 3, verse 10. God said to Moses, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So before we dig into our text, let's read, or let's recap last week's events. Let's set the, set the stage for God to continue to speak to us. So remember, last week, where we picked up, Moses is shepherding. He's living in the land of Midian. He's shepherding his sheep in the wilderness. And um, he has a family. He's living a, a peaceful life for all we know. He's looking in the wilderness looking for pasture for his sheep when he came upon the mountain of God called Horeb. And God reveals himself to Moses in a burning bush. Now, this bush was an odd burning bush because it wasn't being consumed. It wasn't burning up. Among other things, this revealed God's control over creation. God sustained the burning bush. It was not burned up. Then God continues, God, God tells Moses to take off his shoes because the place he is standing on is holy. For the first time in scripture, God reveals this characteristic of his holiness to Moses. And Moses is undone. In verse 6, it says that Moses hid himself for he was afraid. God could have killed Moses right then and there, but God had different plans. God wanted to build begin to build a relationship with Moses. So starting in verse 6, he begins to build trust. He begins to connect with Moses. He says, I am the God of your father, Moses, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then in verse 7, God says, Moses, I have seen the affliction of the people in Egypt. I have heard their cries. 
I know their sufferings. And Moses, I've come down and I'm going to deliver this people. Remember, Moses grew up in um, Egyptian privilege. He was aware of the sufferings of his people. So at this point, Moses must have been pretty, pretty excited. Wait, I'm just a shepherd. I'm shepherding my sheep, and wow, this God, he seems pretty powerful. Man, he says he's going to like deliver my people, and man, I know they're really having a hard time. This is great. That all drastically changes in verse 10 for Moses. Moses' life would never be the same after verse 10 chapter 3 in Exodus. God says to Moses, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I would imagine Moses' jaw probably dropped to the ground as he considered what God was calling him to. And what proceeds after this in the next verses and chapters is, is a back and forth between God and Moses. Where, God makes, or where Moses makes a total of five objections to God. And God continues, God answers those objections and continues to real, reveal his power to Moses. So today, we're only going to deal with two, the first two of those objections. So the first one comes in verse 11. Moses' first objection is, who am I? Let's pick up verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Egypt or the children of Israel out of Egypt? Wait just a minute, God. You've got the wrong person here. I'm just a shepherd. I lead people. I don't lead or I lead sheep. I don't lead people. Definitely not slaves up against the superpower, the, the greatest superpower in the world. Pharaoh, Pharaoh is king, and not only that, but, but everyone considers him to be divine. Now remember, this, this was a different Pharaoh than when, when Moses was in Egypt, but there's a chance Moses might have known, um, he might have grown up with this, this guy, this Pharaoh. God, how is it possible that I go up against this man? And who am I that I should bring the people of Israel out of Egypt? I ran away from Egypt. They're not going to trust me. He was fearful that the people of Israel would turn him in for, for murdering the Egyptian, the Egyptian. So notice here, Moses immediately, God calls him, Moses immediately looks at himself and, and realizes, hey, there ain't no way. There, there's no way I can do this. Now, it's easy for us to reading this to look at Moses and, and judge and say, come on, wait, God just revealed himself to you. You were just standing in the presence of a holy God and you couldn't move. Don't you realize, Moses, this is something different? Like, don't you get it? Now, notice, notice God, God's response. He doesn't talk Moses up. He doesn't say, Moses, but you're going to rock this out. Shepherding sheep, I mean, it just leads right into shepherding people. You're going to be great. 
He doesn't give him a, a self-help book. Read this over the next 10 weeks. He doesn't let Moses trust in his own ability. God immediately takes Moses' attention off of himself and puts it on God. God says, I will be with you. God replaces Moses' fear with the promise of his presence. Now, the authority of a promise like this really depends on who's making it. Am I correct? Okay. So if you and, you and I are on a plane and we start experiencing turbulence, and all of a sudden the cabin loses air pressure, and I turn to you and I say, hey, don't worry, I will be right here with you. As much as you like, might like me or enjoy talking to me, that claim does absolutely nothing to boost your faith that everything is going to be okay. No. But when God makes claims, when God makes the claim that he will be with us, it should relieve our fears. There's no greater promise. So God says to Moses, I will be with you, and this will be your sign for, your sign for you that I have sent you. When you bring everyone out, you will serve. Another translation for serve is worship me on this mountain. Moses is like, what? When it's all done, I'll know? What kind of promise is that? But God makes this promise for a reason. This, this is a sign that won't be known right away. This is a sign that awaits fulfillment. When you bring everyone out, you will know. You will see this sign. This is a sign meant for Moses to grow in his faith. It's not miraculous. Moses had already seen miraculous signs, and he's going to continue to see miraculous signs when he goes to Pharaoh. Actually, further on in this passage, God shows him miraculous signs, and then he sees miraculous signs when he's with Pharaoh. And throughout his life, there's miraculous signs. But this sign will take faith and trust from Moses. This is a call from God. Moses must trust and obey in order to see it fulfilled. God isn't just interested in doing everything for Moses. He wants to shape Moses' mind and heart. So he calls him to something greater. He calls him to faith and trust. And he wants to call us to faith and trust. So the second objection. First objection, Moses says, Who am I? God answers and says, I will be with you. Don't worry. I will give you a sign. Second objection is, Moses says, what are you? Who are you? So in verse 13, it says, if I come, Moses says, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me what is his name, what shall I say to them? Now, the Israelites would have known who God was. It wasn't like God was a mystery to them. God had made promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Notice Moses doesn't ask God who he is. He asks God what he is. The Hebrew word for what, now I'm not a linguist, 
but I did some research. The Hebrew word for what refers to things like characteristics and nature. So Moses wanted to know what God was like. God, the Israelites are going to know, want to know what you're like. Walter Kaiser puts it this way. It was like Moses was asking God, what is there in the name of God that will help in circumstances like this? So in other words, God, what do you have to offer to the people of Israel to make them believe that you are the real deal? Now, back in Moses' time, one's name was, was way more than just a way for a person to be identified. It, it often would convey characteristics about that person or a story about that person. We read in Exodus 2 verse 10 where Pharaoh's daughter draws Moses out of the Nile River. She named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the river. So here we're given a glimpse into Moses' life simply by his name. So all the more with what God is about to do, with God's revelation of his name. God is about to reveal his name and it's not just a name to be identified, God for God to be identified by. It's a name full of meaning. So two objections. Who am I? What are you? God answers. First by saying, I will be with you, Moses. And then he answers the second objection. What are you? I'll tell you, Moses. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And then verse 15, God reveals his name. He says, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. So before God gives his name, he answers the what question about his nature. So the three occurrences of I am in verse 14, I am who I am, and then he says, and say this, I am has sent me to you. The three occurrences of I am in the Hebrew all, represents form, all represent forms of the verb to be. So God here is revealing not just his name, but he's revealing more about his nature. Some translators say, I am who I am, or some translators substitute, I am who I am, with, I will be what I will be. All of those, all of those um, instances of I am are all tied to the Hebrew word for Yahweh. Now, commenta our commentators and scholars have differed on exactly what is in the meaning of I am who I am. But we do know what the word for Yahweh is. What the definition for, of Yahweh is. And we see that in verse, verse 15. The Lord translated Yahweh, the personal name of God. So what does Yahweh mean? So scholars have come up with Four likely definitions, all encapsulated in the name Yahweh. First is that God exists. God doesn't need anything to be able to exist. 
He exists fully apart from any person, place, or thing. God exists, number one. Number two, that God is the creator and sustainer of everything. Like the fire that keeps burning in the bush that we read about last week, when you make a fire, you put logs on it and it will eventually go out. But just, God just keeps this fire burning in the bush. He doesn't need fuel for the fire because he is the fuel. He's the sustainer. God is the creator and sustainer of everything. Number three, God lives outside of time and sees all time periods the same. He doesn't change. He's always the same. That's number four. God doesn't change. He's always the same. So all these attributes of God are encapsulated in the name of Yahweh. So let's apply that to our, let's apply that to, to our context today. So God is talking, God's not just saying his name, but God is speaking his name in revealing to Moses um, something greater here in this passage. He's revealing to Moses how his attributes apply right now in the, in the circumstances that Moses finds himself in. So remember in verse 12, God says, I will be with you, Moses. The Hebrew word for I will be in verse 12 is the same word for I am in verse 14. So the same word that promises God's presence to Moses in verse 12 is also, is also the same word that promises his character and attributes to Moses in verse 14. So Jeff Perswell puts it this way. He says, it's almost like God is saying to Moses, I am the one who is with you, Moses. It's part of God's nature to be present with his people. He's present to deliver and save his people. Remember, Moses is asking God, what is your name? Or what should I tell the people of Israel about your character, God, that will make them believe that you will be able to deliver them from Pharaoh? And it's as if God says, Moses, tell the people of Israel that I exist. I'm Yahweh. I exist. I don't need help from anyone in my existence. I'm the creator and sustainer of everything. I have always been and always will be. I don't change. I'm always the same. And all of me will be with you. All of me will be present with you. All of my nature, attributes, and character will be present with you and with them, the Israelites, and throughout eternity. Tell them that is who I am, Moses. Listen, God was present before creation, during creation. He was present with Moses there in the mountain of Horeb. Present with the Israelites as they were delivered from the land of Egypt. And his presence reaches throughout all eternity. So this is the promise. Moses has two objections. God reveals his name and God reveals a promise. God promises his presence in nature all in one to the people of Israel and to us. And God would continue to reveal his character and presence throughout the Old Testament. This culminated with the coming of Jesus. 
In John 8, Jesus lays claim to the divine nature of God. The Jews, like Moses, were questioning who he was. And he said to the Jews, before Abraham was, I am. So this is a direct claim to deity. This was a direct claim of Jesus to being the same God who revealed Moses or was revealed to Moses all those years before. Only this time, the God-man, Jesus, had literally come down in human form to rescue his people. What God revealed to Moses in part, God revealed fully in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In living on the earth, God, through Jesus, God revealed his promise to be with his people. In Christ's death and resurrection, he saved and delivered his people from the bondage of sin. In God's name, we have a promise through Christ. It's not just a name, it's a promise. This promise is that God's presence will always be with you. In fact, before ascending up to heaven, Jesus said this to the disciples in Matthew 28. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So just as God called Moses to a mountain all those years ago to make a promise of his presence. Jesus, the God-man, called his disciples to a mountain, and there he again promised his presence to always be with them until the end of the age. So brothers and sisters, if you've trusted, if you believe in this God-man, if you have made him the king of your life, you get the promise of his presence. You get the promise of all of him his character, his attributes. For those of us who are in Christ, we can say with the Apostle Paul, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we have a promise. We have a promise of his presence. We have a promise of his character. We have a promise of his attributes. And we have a promise that it will, we will never be separated from that when we are in Christ. This is truly a glorious truth. <laughs> truly a glorious truth. God has revealed himself to us. He's revealed his character. Over the last two weeks, we've seen that he's the sustainer in the bush. He's holy and worthy. We can't stand in his holy presence. We're in great need. But God made a way in Jesus. God promises his presence to Moses, 
And Jesus promises to always be with us. And we can't be separated from the love of God. So this truth should cause us to bow down and worship. This truth should be sustaining for us in the midst of a world that is falling apart. This truth should get us through the times when this earthly world makes no sense. We serve a God who is beyond us and who promises that he has it in control, who says he is in control. He's sovereign. He rules. He reigns. So let's bow down. Let's bow down and worship this morning and in our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you have revealed yourself in creation. Lord, that you revealed yourself all throughout the Old Testament, that you were continually delivering your people in their doubt and in their need and in their questions, you delivered them time and time again. We thank you that you've sent Jesus to deliver us all from our sin, from the bondage of our sin. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. And we thank you for your promise that you will always be with us with your whole being. You will always be present with us with your character, your attributes, and your presence. You will always be with us. Lord, may we bow down. May we worship. May we live lives of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.